Well, that was a little smoother than the last service. We got one service to <laughs> practice, though. So hopefully the rest of the way goes well, too. So Silas and Riley, say hey to these folks. Good morning. Everybody Good say hello and welcome. There you go. Um, friendship, family, welcome. Uh, man, I'm so excited to have these two here. Um, so just to give you a little background, um, Silas, uh, when the Tate family moved to Springfield, Missouri back in 2015, uh, I went on staff at a church there. And this young, like, whippersnapper, <laughs> this, like, college sophomore, I think, reached out to me. <clears throat> and his name, I'm getting all choked up. <clears throat> this uh, sophomore in college reached out to me and said, hey, would you mind going out for coffee? And so we met up at um, Brick and Mortar Coffee in Springfield, Missouri. And here's this young dude that just wanted to get to know me. He wanted to get to know who our kids were. He was serving in the kids' ministry at that time. So he just wanted to get to know our kids and hang out with them. And he actually invited them. So Silas lived in the apartment in our church building. And so he had our kids over there. And they were just, you know, having a run of the whole church and playing around and just having fun, playing video games, I'm sure. <clears throat> that same apartment is where my, my son, Isaiah, now resides in Missouri, so full circle, just interesting. Um, but yeah, I got to know Silas in college, and uh, eventually, a few years down the road, he met Riley, and they got married, and um, made their way to Mongolia. And so today, I just want you to get to know them a little bit, um, a little bit of know a little bit about their story, who they are, how they got to where they're at, how we can join them in what they're doing. So um, this is a little Q and A. So I got to start out with a question. So softball. Um, how did you all come to Christ? Where did your relationship with Christ begin? Yeah, so um, I am from Texas and was uh, raised in church there, born and raised in the same town. And so my parents were faithful to bring me to church, um, always be surrounded by just church. And so um, I came to know the Lord at the age of 12 um, and then just kind of followed him through high school and, and to now. Yeah, and, and kind of a similar story. Um, my parents are, are super faithful believers, um, love God, love the gospel, um, and so they, they took it upon themselves to, they took the responsibility that, that God gave them to, uh, to preach the gospel to me on a daily basis, um, and, and thanks, thanks to their, their faithfulness and um, endurance in that, I came to know Christ at a really young age, and, and just by God's grace, he never really let me uh, stray too far away from him, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. Yeah, he didn't mention that. So she's from Texas. He's from New Hampshire, yeah. right? Uh -huh. So different worlds there, right? Sure. <clears throat> That's how God works, which is cool. Um, so fast forward a little bit. <clears throat> how did how did God put it on your heart to um, be willing to go? You know, we've talked about I surrender everything. Like, what brought you to the place where you're willing to go, like to the uttermost or yeah. anywhere in the world? Yeah. Um so uh, I was really big into basketball, wanted to play college ball, uh, and so I would, I would train day in and day out to do that. I know short white guy, probably not going to make it, but uh, I was... He's a baller, though, I'm telling you. I was doing my best, and, uh, and really, so really loved basketball, and um, uh, a missionary to the Philippines came to my church one day to speak, a lot probably similar to, to what we're doing here today, and he uh, just mentioned that in the Philippines they were doing some awesome things, and that their church wanted to start a basketball clinic ministry, and that they just needed someone to come and lead it for a summer to get it just kind of up and running to see how it would work. And so uh, I was like, I, I can do that. So I went up and talked to him afterward, and long story short, I spent uh, eight weeks in the Philippines in Manila doing basketball clinics and sharing the gospel at them, and, and a lot of people came to know Christ, and it just really opened my eyes to see that God was doing something in the world, not just in America, but he was a, he's a global God, and he deserves the praise of, uh, of people around the world.
world. And so yeah. kind of used that to, to call me towards that. So as a teenager, right? Yes. Yeah, and, I was 16. Okay. And that was your first time out of the country? Yeah. Was that the Gochers, by the way? Yeah. That was okay. Lance Millen, cool. yep. Okay. I know them. All right. So Riley. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so my church, my home church in Texas, um, is just really missions-minded, and we support missionaries and have them in kind of like this and just get to hear from them. Um, and spend time with them one-on-one throughout, you know, they'll stay a week or whatever. And so that's how I was first introduced to missions and kind of um, just through spending time with them and hearing what they're doing and hearing uh, the need for the gospel in different areas around the world. Um, I just began began feeling a burden for missions. And so it was kind of through that, just spending time um, around missionaries and being exposed to the need for, um, yeah, the gospel in unreached areas and in places where people weren't going or didn't want to go. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I felt called and surrendered to missions. Yeah, that's awesome. So early on, I knew that Silas had a love for the gospel. Uh, I knew he had a, a desire to work with unreached peoples. I think I found that out pretty early on. But as you were going through college, it was like, okay, where is God, <clears throat> where in the world is God going to put Silas? Um, and Silas, single dude, his whole, you know, all through college. And so, like, talk about how... Mongolia came on your onto your radar. Yeah. Um, well, while I was in the Philippines that first summer, I was reading a book uh, called Radical. It's by David Platt, and in it he gives these these five challenges. And actually, I've forgotten four of them. Uh, but one of them, one of the challenges that he gave was to spend uh, spend ten percent of your time every year in a cross cultural setting doing cross cultural ministry. So I was like, okay, I can I can do that. And so uh, I committed myself to go to a different area um, every summer and spend the summer there. And so uh, I went back to the Philippines the following year, and then the year after that, I went to Tanzania. And then the next year, I got an opportunity. It was uh, after my sophomore year. I got an opportunity to go to Mongolia. And so we flew in, I flew into Mongolia, into Ulaanbaatar, and uh, the, the missionary I was working with, he lived, he lived uh, 14 hours away from the city. And so we got in our car and started driving, and we'd pass villages and cities and towns along the way. And at each one, he would make a point to, to point out the window and say, Silas, there's 4,000 people in this, uh, in this village and not a single believer. Or, or 6,000 people in this city and, and no believers. And this was the story for uh, town after town, city after city, village after village. There's no Christians, no church, no gospel witness. And uh, so God used that to burden my heart. And so I got back home and uh, committed myself to going to Mongolia, uh, started raising support. And right about the time that I was get, like ready to go, I uh, went to Tyler, Texas to a church and met a girl there who was awesome. And uh, we, I hung out there for a week. And then on Sunday, uh, no, on Monday, on that following Monday, um, we, were, we were sitting together and I just said, Riley, you know, uh, if you want to go to Mongolia, uh, I will buy you a ring right now. And that's, that's not even uh, a joke. That's literally what came out of my mouth. And so she said, how about a date first? And the rest, as they say, is history. So, Anything you want to add to that, Riley? <laughs> I guess you kind of stole it, no? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so like I said, I um, surrendered to missions. And then right after graduating high school, um, just kind of began praying and planning what the Lord had for me. And I knew I wanted to do unreached people and in unengaged areas and things like that. And so um, it was kind of just through, honestly, I guess, prayer and, of course, God leading Silas to my church. And then um, as a single missionary myself and Silas coming in as a single missionary, the whole church was just, guys, you know, we got to get together. And so, <laughs> so I was kind of assigned to him that week. <laughs> my, co- my college Sunday school class just got to spend time with him and take him out. And, and so, um, yeah, never, never really felt a call, certainly, to, like, Mongolia specifically, um, but just through spending time with Silas and 
and kind of praying through that and getting through that, we, um, Lord, blessed us, I guess. Yeah, yeah, Silas has always been a super driven guy, and he was ready to go to the field whether or not God gave him a bride or not. And so he was, I just remember, I know he loves Riley and who she is, but he was just like, if someone will say yes to Mongolia, she is the one, right? <laughs> and she said yes, and it was really cool to kind of get to know her. The, the timing of all of that, so we were, the Tates were getting ready to move to South Carolina. We literally had our, uh, we, our house was on the market, and um, Silas and Riley, they were kind of raising support, I think is what you're doing, and you came and stayed with us for a week. Um, but it was the week that we were showing our house. And so, like, we'd get a call from our realtor, like, hey, we got a showing today. And I'd be like, hey, guys, you got to get out. <laughs> Show the house. And so, like, the timing of it, we were just getting ready to move here, and they were just getting ready to head to Mongolia. Um, so, it's, so you, got, you all have been there about two years or so, yeah. and we've been here about two years. Um, talk about the ministry there. Like, what has been or what is, like, the most challenging aspect mm -hmm. of ministry there? Yeah, I think... Um our biggest ministry these past two years was to learn the language. Uh, it's, it's a really difficult language to learn. We can speak at about a four-year-old level, and so if you have a four-year-old, um, that's us. And, uh, and so and we definitely have a long ways to go. Uh, a few months before coming back to America, I was actually able to share the gospel uh, completely in Mongolian, which was a, which was a huge uh, encouragement, and it came just at the right time. Uh, but honestly, one of the biggest challenges for us is just simply the, the loneliness that you feel with, without be, having the language to a level like we can't have an in-depth conversation with someone. Um, and so uh, it's kind of, it's really hard to build friendships and Mongolians are closed off as, uh, as it is. And so it, it really, and both of us, well, me more so, I'm like introverted. So it takes up like all my courage just to go and say, hey, what's up? But, um, but yeah, for me, that was definitely a huge um, huge kind of hurdle to get over and just kind of trusting God through the loneliness aspect of it. What about you? Yeah, definitely the loneliness. Um, and then... Are you on? Is it on? Or did it die on you? the wrong button. You can just... <laughs> you can share your microphone. Cool. And all that to say, yeah, pretty much the same thing. Um, it's just um, the loneliness and then just the lack of community and friendship um, that you feel. And Mongolia is really a, a cold area and a cold country. And so, um, yeah, just kind of spending a lot of time inside and not getting the opportunity to make friends. And then when we do have the opportunity, not being able to speak Mongolian um, was definitely one of the harder things. And so, yeah. As we watch Silas fiddle with a microphone up here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I can't imagine that. And, like, even, we didn't talk about it much, but, like, COVID, even just in, um, why don't you talk about that for a second, what COVID has looked like in Mongolia? Yeah, it was tough. So if you know the geography of Mongolia, we're right above, above China. And so as immediately um, in February, when the virus really started to break out of 2020, uh, Mongolia just closed down. Um, stores, uh, churches, schools, everything uh, closed down right, off the, right, right away. And while some things have been able to open up, um, our church has still been closed since then. Uh, at least we're not legally allowed to meet together. We do um, stuff online, we do stuff in small groups, and we've met a few times uh, undercover. Don't tell anyone that. But, um, but, um, but yeah, so if you want to be praying for, for something, really just be praying for our church to, to continue to love one another and provide for each other's needs and to con continue to have opportunities to share the gospel with, uh, with people. Uh, it was really frustrating at times. 
Mongolia was the, the government was doing their best to prevent uh, prevent COVID from spreading. And so times there were times when like we couldn't leave our village. There were times where we weren't allowed to leave our house or to leave our yard. Um, it was just like every few weeks the rules would change, and we just kind of had to uh, just go with the flow and adjust as as uh, the hits came. So. Yeah, and as we talked about this, it was like we understand COVID and restrictions and adjusting to all this stuff, but to like be in a, a, a country that's not your home country, that you're not speaking your, your language, and uh, it was so much more strict, right, or so much more, what's the word? Um, yeah, strict, yeah, the restrictions were just so much tighter, and so just imagining, I can imagine the loneliness and all those things. Um, so you already kind of talked about some ways we can pray. Um, talk about your, your table and your resources out there, ways that these folks can kind of get in the know and be involved. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, right outside these doors um, at the visitor center section, uh, we have a little display up. Uh, we have prayer cards there that will give a list of, of six specific things that you can be praying for for us. Uh, that's one thing I really love is, is when people are actually praying for specific things for us. And so if you would grab one of those and keep that in front of you uh, in your Bible or tucked away somewhere. Uh, we also have a newsletter that we send out. Uh, we try to send it out monthly or bi-monthly, and so you can sign up for that out there as well. A third way to stay involved is uh, we're on Facebook, and so if you would find us on Facebook, add us as friends, and then message us and tell us you want to be a part of our um, private group. We can't uh, post anything online in, in public because it's a creative access nation, and so we do everything through a private group. So if you want to be a part of that, we update it pretty regularly about where we are and what we're doing. The last thing is if you don't want to talk, talk to us because we're scary, um, there's an iPad out there that like, you, can, you can click on like, little buttons, and it's like, I get to know Silas. I don't know why you'd click on that one, but um, I would click on get to know Riley if I were you. She's much more interesting than me. But then there's also some other stuff. You can get to know our friends in Mongolia and a little bit other stuff like that. Otherwise, uh, we'll be here for a little bit after the service and would love to, to get to know you a little bit, and so please feel free to come and talk to us as well. Yeah, and so cre he mentioned the phrase creative access, which just means you can't just pop into this country and say, hey, we're, we're missionaries here. You have to find creative ways to be able to, to you know, start a business or do things to where you can be in the culture and begin to reach the people that way. So um, if, you, if you write anything on Facebook or anything today, just don't tag these right. people, <laughs> all right? Um, so bonus question, um, we talked about it in the first service. Talk about, baby, there's another individual on the stage that y'all may not know is here, Baby Thompson. Talk to us about the little babe. Yeah, so we are 34 weeks um, with our first baby. It's a boy, uh, so we're just super, super excited for him to get here. <laughs> um, his name is Benaiah. Uh, we got it from the Bible. He was the leader of David's bodyguard and one of the mighty men. Um, it also, Silas wanted a name that meant something, and I wanted kind of a character, and so it was perfect for both of us. Um, it means the Lord will build. And so we're just super pumped for him to get here, ready to take him back to Mongolia and kind of see what doors um, having a family opens for us there. Yeah, so I've been reading in First Kings over the last week, and I saw, oh, here, here's Benaiah, but he's not associated with David at this point. He's associated with Solomon. Silas, what does he do? He's, a, he's Solomon's assassin. So yeah, it's, if Solomon it's, needed someone it's, dead, <laughs> Benaiah was the guy to go to. So, so this is this godly young man they're going to be raising, right? He's going to be a... He's going to build and protect. He was loyal. That's what we'll stick with. That's right. There you go. There you go. Absolutely. Hey, I want to pray for uh, Silas and Riley, and then Silas is going to bring the word to us this morning. All right. God, I just want to say thank you for your grace again this morning. Thank you for this incredible couple, Silas and Riley, and just their hearts for you, their heart for the gospel, their heart for these unreached people that 
need the truth of the gospel. They need good news. And God, you have called them and sent them to go and deliver that good news. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would continue to bless them and use them. God, that you would protect them, that you'd open doors of utterance for the gospel, um, that you'd make ways for them to be able to build relationships and learn the language and just to be able to communicate um, in a way that they can share the goodness of God with these folks that you've sent them to. So I pray for their church and I pray for their efforts in fundraising in these months ahead and uh, for Benaiah too, that for his healthy uh, delivery and God as they just learn how to become parents and do this ministry work that you've called them to. God, I pray that you would bless them and encourage them along the way. Thank you for them being with us here today. I pray that you would open our hearts to your word um, as we open your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you give them a hand? Well, good morning, everyone. I am excited to, to be here. Uh, if you have a Bible, I hope you do. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1? Romans uh, chapter 1. Uh, one thing, if you want to know like, how cool Riley is, how awesome she, she is, uh, we met in October. Uh, she married me in, in March, and then we went to Mongolia in July. And so if you got that, it's like nine months of uh, between meeting me and then going across the world with me. And so she is a champ for doing that. I'm, a, I'm really blessed to have her. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, it's really awesome being here. And, and like Pastor Andrew said, we, we met several, several years ago. And Pastor Andrew is actually a really instrumental in my life in a lot of ways. But in particular, uh, he really showed me that the gospel is not just the, the starting point of Christianity, where we do like a launch pad from the gospel into all these other areas, but that the gospel is actually the entirety of Christianity, uh, in other words, it's not just the diving board to get into the pool of Christianity, but it's actually the pool itself. Uh, so, so Andrew really taught me to love the gospel and to dive deeper into the gospel and to study it. And so today what I want to do is I want to show how the gospel uh, applies to missions. So you're with me in, in the book of Romans, and uh, you're in chapter 1, but I want to actually you keep a finger there, and I want you to turn towards the end of Romans to chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, uh, verse 24, Paul writes to the Romans and he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. So, so Paul is writing to the Romans and he wants to go to, to Rome, but he wants them to send him to Spain. He wants to go to Spain and that begs us to question why. Why does Paul want to go to Spain? Is it, is it just so he can have a nice uh, vacation? Is, is Paul getting a little burnt out with all the ministry he's been doing and just needs like a day off? No. No, no. Paul wants to go to Spain because he knows that the gospel has not yet gone there, that there are people there that have never heard the gospel before, and he wants the Romans to be involved in this process. He wants them to send him. Now, I need to be honest with you right from the start. I have a, a, an assumption, a, a theological viewpoint that I need you guys to know, and hopefully you will agree with. And that is this. If you are a Christian in this, 
in this room, you are called to world missions. You are called to be a global Christian. You are called to help the gospel get to the uttermost parts of the world to reach all people with the gospel, okay? Now, not everyone here is called to pick up everything they have and move to another country around the world, but you are called to be actively and intentionally involved with missions, and I'm not the only one who thinks this because there's a, there's a pastor named John Piper. Uh, he's one of my heroes, and he says this. He says there are th- only three types of Christians in the world when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and the disobedient. Three types of believers. Zealous goers, those who, uh, those who go urgently and intentionally to the uttermost, and then zealous senders, those who uh, send in a manner worthy of God, and then the disobedient. So Paul here is writing to the, Ro- to the Romans. He wants them to send them to Spain. Now there's a lot of reasons why Paul writes this book. I'm not going to say there's only one, but there is one reason in particular that I want to point to here. It's so that he can gain the support of Rome to send him to Spain. He's doing a lot like what I'm doing here today, coming to this church and, and, and asking for your partnership in getting the gospel to Mongolia. He's asking for Rome's partnership. So we can kind of look at Romans as one big, big, fat missionary support letter. It's, it's probably the best support letter that's ever been written, and, and, and so I'm really excited to be able to dive into it. Now, if you know anything about a missionary support letter, uh, I've written a bunch, but basically when we write them, we're taught to, uh, one, talk about our calling, about why God's called us to this area, and then two, we talk about our need, the, the need in the country or the need in the area that we're going to, why they need the gospel. But Paul, here in the book of Romans, he doesn't really focus on his call. And he spends even less time focusing on the need of Spain. Rather, he spends the entire book of Romans explaining and expounding upon one thing. The gospel. The gospel. Why? Well, because Paul understood something that we all here today need to understand. Paul understood that the beauty of the gospel creates a burden for missions. The beauty of the gospel creates a burden for missions. And so what I want to do today is I want to walk briefly and quickly through the book of Romans and pull out different aspects that Paul talks about of the gospel and then apply them to missions. So I need you guys to pray with me because uh, John Piper took eight and a half years to preach through the book of Romans, and I'm going to take about 20 minutes. And so if you would uh, join me in prayer right now and ask for God's help with us today. God, we, we do thank you for your gospel, and we thank you that we have the opportunity to look at your word this morning. God, help me to step aside to hide behind your cross so that you would receive all praise and honor and glory and power and that Jesus would be high and lifted up in our hearts today, that I may become less so that you may become greater. Help us to have understanding today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So three aspects of the gospel that I want to look at today. The first aspect is this. Apart from Christ, all people stand guilty before God. Apart from Christ, all people stand guilty and condemned before God. You're with me in chapter 1 of Romans. Look at verse 18. 
The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Apart from Christ, all people stand condemned before God. Now, this is a very uh, contradiction, not contradiction, what's the word? I can't think of the word. What? Yeah, controversial, not contradictory. Controversial thing in today's world to say that we are actually guilty before God. And not just us, but all people in all places around the world stand guilty and condemned before God. Now you, you think with me, Silas, what about, what about the innocent per- person in the Amazon jungle who's never even heard about God? Can a good God really send an innocent person that's never heard about him? Can he send him to hell? Well, Paul answers this question very clearly in the book, in, in these few verses. First of all, he, he says, all people have knowledge of God. He talks about in the things that were made, ever since the beginning of the world, and the things that were made, God has been showing himself to us. The, 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 Psalm chapter 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So we walked out of our house this morning and we looked up and we saw a beautiful sky, blue sky, and we see the sun and we, we drive and we see trees and mountains. And I'm from New Hampshire, so you, like the prettiest state in the world where we have like just the beautiful leaves and mount, every, everything. Is just, we see that and it's all shouting that there is a God. We flew around the world in Mongolia and they woke up in the morning, they walked out and guess what they saw? They see blue sky. At night, you go, you go out at, in the middle of the night, midnight in Mongolia, and you will see the prettiest sky you will ever see in your life. They walk around and they see plants and animals and people made in the image of God. And all of these things, all of creation is shouting, there is a God. And instead of worshiping that God, they worship other things. You see, while all people have knowledge of God, all people reject God. It says here that they suppress the truth in their unrighteousness, that they reject the one true God and they turn and they worship images and mortal things. You go to Mongolia and you walk into a Mongolian house and you, you, just, you know that they, they have rejected God because you see shrines and idols and, and statues and images that they worship and they pray to. Most Mongolians are either Buddhist or shaman. Buddhism, we've, America, have taken it and perverted it to, to make it something that is peaceful, but it's not. You go to Mongolia and they are terrified all the time of these evil spirits that are tormenting them, so they have to do whatever these spirits will tell them to do to get them off their back. Shamanism is very similar, where they will go to a shaman whenever, whenever something is wrong with their, their life. They'll go to a witch doctor, and the, the witch doctor, the shaman, will invite these evil spirits up in him and tell his client what they need to do to appease these spirits. And we look at that and we say, well, that's obviously rejecting God, but here in America, we don't do that. Well, we do it by worshiping our career, worshiping our marriage or our desire to be married, worshiping the best job 
the best house. We take the, the American dream and we put this little Christian spin on it, thinking that God will be pleased, but really we are searching and we are worshiping our stuff. We're worshiping our kids. We're worshiping ourselves. All people have knowledge of God. All people have rejected God, and therefore, if you jump with me a little bit further in chapter, th- in chapter 3, verse 19, all people have knowledge of God, all people have rejected God, and therefore, all people stand accountable before him. Verse 19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. Some translations say, so the whole world may be guilty before God. So we go back to this question, can a good God really send innocent people to hell? Well, the thing is, is there are no innocent people. All people have knowledge of God, they have rejected God, and therefore are guilty before God. So the question isn't, can a good God send innocent people to hell? It's how can a holy and righteous God allow guilty sinners into heaven? And that's the next thing that Paul talks about because while apart from Christ, all people stand condemned before God, through Christ, God made a way of salvation for all people. Apart from Christ, we all stand condemned before God. Through Christ, God made a way of salvation for all people. You're with me in chapter 3. Look with me in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now there's a lot of big words here, and so what I want to do is I want to walk through these, these two verses and show what God is saying here. The first word he says, they are justified. We are justified. What does that mean? Well, it means to be declared righteous. You remember in chapter 1, verse 18, where it talks about how all people are unrighteous? Well, to be justified means that God declares us to be righteous. Well, how can he do that? How can a just and holy God do that? Well, because we're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This word redemption is a word used back for, for slavery when, uh, when someone would uh, owe someone some money. They would, they would get in debt to someone. They would say, I will go into slavery. I'll work for you to pay off this debt. But they could have a friend or a family member come and pay that debt off for them. And that's what it means to be redeemed. Now the Bible makes it very clear that the wages of sin, the debt of sin is death. And Christ comes in and he says, you know, I will pay that debt for you. He lived a perfect life in our place and he died the death that we deserve to die, redeeming us from the debt of our sin, the slavery of our sin. He redeemed us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now that is a huge word, but it has a very simple meaning and I'm gonna illustrate it this way. Imagine you're standing in front of a dam, thousands and thousands of miles wide, thousands and thousands of miles high. Behind that dam is just filled with the water of God's wrath. And as you're standing before it, it begins to crack and it breaks and crumbles and the water begins to pour towards you and you turn to run, but you cannot outrun it. You cannot hide. It will overwhelm you. You will die for certain. But just before it comes upon you, the ground between you and the water opens up and it swallows every bit of that water, every single drop. 
of God's wrath. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, you know the story of when Jesus was in the garden praying and, and sweats of drops of blood. It, he wasn't scared of the torture he was going to face. There have been plenty of Christians around the world who have died a gruesome death and went there boldly. Jesus is not scared of that. What he, what he is dreading, what he is not looking forward to the most is that he will experience the full wrath of God, the wrath that we deserve. He took it for us. And this is all to be received by faith. Faith is trusting and resting in Christ alone in all that he has done in the gospel. And Paul continues in the book of Romans into chapter 4, 5, 6, and 7 to explain what this means to have faith in Christ and what the implications are for us. And then he gets to Romans chapter 8, possibly the most beautiful chapter in all of Scripture. In Romans 8 verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now it's not something 20 years down the road or sometime, sometime in the distant future. There is now, there is now no condemnation. It's not just a little bit of condemnation. God doesn't have to pay us back. We don't have to go to purgatory to pay off some of our sins. No, 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 no. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Apart from Christ, all people stand guilty before God, but through Christ, God made a way of salvation for all people. So let me ask you here today, have you put your faith in Christ in his perfect life, in his atoning sacrificial death, and in his resurrection. Have you put your faith in that? Do you trust in him and his work alone for salvation? Because if you are resting in any of your own works, if you are resting in something that you can do, or if you do not believe in Christ, I don't say this to be mean, but you stand guilty before the God of the universe, and you will be judged so do not leave this room today without talking to someone about what that means. This decision is urgent. It is important. And it is costly. But Christian, let me ask you, do you believe this gospel? Do you believe that God made a way of salvation, not just for you, but for all people? Because Paul continues in chapter 8 to explain this and he just sums up this whole thing in the end. And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And when he goes into chapter 9, you'd think he'd be jumping up and down for joy and ex an exclamation, but he's not. Instead, he says this, chapter 9, verse 1, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Why? Why is your heart anguish in anguish? Well, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Paul is in anguish here because he knows that there are people who do not yet believe the gospel. There are people who right now stand condemned before God. There are seven, a little over 7 billion people in the world. Four and a half billion of those people do not claim to be a Christian. Four and a half billion who right now stand condemned before God. That, that's, a, that's a big number, but think about this. Three billion. Three billion people right now on this earth live in a place where they will never hear the gospel. They live in an area among a people group that, where there are no Christians. 
There are no churches. There is no Bible. Three billion. How can we say that we believe the gospel if we are not concerned and brokenhearted over that, if we are not doing everything we can to make sure they hear the gospel? Because the third aspect of the gospel that Paul preaches here in Romans is that all people must hear the gospel in order to believe it. All people must hear about Christ in order to believe in Christ. Look with me in chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? There's three billion people in the world right now that have never heard the gospel, and they never will unless someone makes a difference. The Bible makes it very clear that we are plan A for getting the gospel to the nations, and there is no plan B. And yet a a company that sells brown sugar water called Coca-Cola has done a better job of getting their product to the nations than the church of Jesus Christ has. Do Do we really believe the gospel? There are only three types of believers in the world when it comes to world missions. Zealous goers, zealous senders, and disobedient. Which one are you? Let me pray. Father, forgive us for our unbelief. Forgive us for the ways that we are self-seeking keeping the gospel to ourselves rather than spreading it among the nations. Help us to have boldness to share the gospel with our friends and family members, with our coworkers, with our neighbors. Help us to have boldness to go to all nations with the gospel. Give us a greater burden for the gospel among the peoples. May you receive all praise and honor and glory that you are due. Amen.